Canada and COVID one year later with Shane Hewitt. A little over a year ago, none of us could have predicted the way this year was going to go. Coming up this hour, we're going to take a look across Canada at some of your favorite voices and the stories they've been through. I'm Shane Hewitt. I host The Shift here on the Chorus Radio Network. You can listen to my show late at night or early in the morning, depending on where you are. And I invite you to come and join me or check out my podcast. I wanted to introduce you to some of our favorite voices, my colleagues, and some of their stories. You see, I love these people because they share the stories of Canadians every day on their shows. It's not very often we get to hear what they've gone through, through Canada and COVID one year later. Getting us started, Shea Ganim from 630 Chad in Edmonton, John Jang from CKNW in Vancouver, and weekend host of my show, The Shift. Now, Shay, I don't know how many kids you've collected now. Is it seven, eight, eleven? Where are you? Yeah, no. Well, I had eleven, but I've whittled it down to two. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I only have two, uh, seventeen and nineteen. So one of them was uh, in grade eleven when this all started. Now in twelve, and the other one had just started her first year of university. And I don't know about you, Shane, but the one thing I really noticed is how differently it affected each of them. Um, and uh, my son has done all online learning. My my wife has an immune condition due to a stem cell transplant several years, several years ago, so she's very high risk. So we have to be probably more careful than most people are because she wouldn't do well if we brought COVID into the house. So he's done homeschooling the entire time since this whole thing started, uh, stayed home from school, and um, it really hasn't bothered him that much. He plays hockey as well. I coach him in hockey and. We were a little disappointing the way things went this year and things like that, but we got out a couple of times, but it just wasn't the same. My daughter, on the other hand, um, really struggled, really, really had a tough time with it. And as a matter of fact, for the first, I don't know, four or five months back last spring, she left here and moved down the street to my parents' place just because she was so worried about getting her mom sick and she was still working and she was still going to school and things like that. Um, and then when she came home, um, she just, I guess she's just a far more social animal. And it was a lot more difficult for her to adjust to not seeing her friends and having her friends over and going to their place. So she struggled a lot more than my son, who, you know, I mean, most of his life is spent online with his buddies anyway. So he seemed to do quite well with it. So it was really different between the two of them. Uh, the burden, I know that my kids missing grandma and papa and not being able to go see my parents has been incredibly hard on them because they have this mixed emotion thing about, I really want to, can we go? But I don't want to be that. Like I used to say to my dad, you know, dad, this is not the first lottery I want to win. This is not the first bingo I want to, <laughs> I want to pull the, the, the number ball for, right? Um, have you seen that burden be the biggest part or is the lack of socialization with their friends really hit the most? I think, you know, they're, they're, they're both really close with my parents and, and uh, especially my daughter, she talks to my mom and that and that all the time they're they're in constant contact so um she had a lot of that like i say she actually lived with them for i don't know four months i mean it's literally three blocks from my house so it's not like she went that far but um for her it's definitely been the lack of socialization and just her friends and uh and she's always been the, that kind of kid she's got a, a big friend group that um you know and and the other thing is she felt she was in a different position because of my wife and her mom. Um, so I think a lot of her friends didn't necessarily adhere to the rules quite as closely as some other people did, took a few more chances, got together in smaller groups, things like that, things that she just didn't feel that she could do. 
And uh, so she felt, you know, the fear of missing out thing for a while there. But, you know, she's she's really handled it as best she can. She wants it to be over like we all do. But I think it was the social aspect of it and just not having the ability to, you know, get together with her friends. And my kid just got his driver's license and I felt bad. I mean, he couldn't go anywhere. There was nothing for him to do. So, I mean, they, it's been a long haul for them. And I think it's been a real struggle. And uh, it's just it's just been so miserable for everybody. But I think it, we, we overlook the fact that for them, those, those years mean a lot more. Like, you know, for me going from 48 to 49, nothing changes. But for a kid going from 17 to 18 and graduating yeah. high school, that's a big year in their life, right? Yeah. Well, and I, I don't want to sound too uh, dark and dreary about grandma and grandpa, but every year that kind of gets lost there um, as their health changes. Yeah. I mean, they don't look the same. As no. they did a year ago, uh, must be hard can't to see. Do the same things, and yeah, yeah, you can't. Now, John, in sports, it's been confusing because we've watched the professional athletes get treated well, and then the young athletes don't get to play. What's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, I think I understand why. I mean, the professional leagues, uh, whether it's the NHL, the NBA, MLB, they do play a role in the economy, and certainly we know the economy has been needing a lot of help over the past year and moving forward, continuing to run into a deficit. So it makes sense for me, money-wise, why they want to have the NHL and, and leagues and games like that. But at the same time, you know, as I'm listening to Shay talk about uh, the struggles from his children, and Shane, I'm sure you're in the same boat, one of the big things about youth sports is not so much that you just get to compete in these games, but it's all those key words that coaches love to use. Teamwork, uh, character, trust, all of these things that go into even practice. Now, here in British Columbia, youth sports has been banned for months now, and there's really no telling how or when that's going to change. They've had some discussions lately. Dr. Bonnie Henry has been hinting about, oh, maybe youth sports can come back at the end of April, but that's assuming things are going to be okay up until then. And COVID-19 numbers in BC have not fared very well since Dr. Bonnie Henry made a statement like that. And although I'm not a father myself, I would understand, you know, my child is going to lose out on so many key moments in their life if they aren't able to participate. All they can do right now is practice, practice, and practice. I've spoken with the president of the Chilliwack Minor Football Association, and although the idea of practicing again and again is kind of nice because at least you get to do something, you get to wear those pads and participate in some capacity, it's nothing like going into an actual competition and relying on the person next to you to get their job done so that you as a team can go and proceed to win some games. And I, I, I just, I, I can't understand how much of a loss this is for children and uh, for anybody else who just isn't able to participate in rec sports right now, whether it's your beer league team or anything else like that. It's been definitely a difficult year for sports fans. Now, Shay, how have you guys handled in your house the seeing other provinces play or other leagues play. Now my son, uh, he's going to, well, supposed to be going to junior camp. So far, two of them have been canceled. He had to deal with that last year. Um, all of these things happening, draft year happening right in the middle of uh, COVID. Has it been hard on the boy when when he can see other groups playing, but he's not allowed? Yeah, it has been pretty frustrating. He's not at that elite level. He's, uh, you know, he's playing uh, rec hockey. Uh, and I've coached him since he was a little kid. So, um, and this was his last year. 
so it was, uh, you know, they had all kinds of plans. He's been with the same group of guys for a long, long time. So that was a big thing for him too, was just not being able to go to the rink with his buddies. I mean, those kids would show up an hour and a half early and hang out for an hour after the game. It was, you know, they would just love being together and being in the room. So uh, we've had practices here, but then with the rules of no social distance or no social contact or anything like that, it was really limited to what they can do. We just wrapped it up last week because kids were starting to drop off and losing interest and stuff. So, yeah, I think, you know, it, seeing as it was his last year and, uh, you know, he was going to be with his buddies one last time, I think they were really looking forward to that. And uh, it got derailed, of course, right during playoffs last year and never got off the ground this year. So they, they definitely missed out on that. Um, and, you know, they tried to make the best of it, as you know, with the rules that were in place, but it really wasn't the same. And I, I think they they feel, you know, they were talking about, we, we should get our last year back, they should age exempt us and stuff. And, so they'd like to do it again, but uh, it's just, it's a lost year. There's nothing anyone can do about it. Yeah. And it's been terribly unfair because some of those pond hockey leagues have didn't even get started while, That's right. you know, I mean, my son's team, they did get to play, uh, although not much, but they did yeah. get, you know, five games in and some extra practices. So it has been incredibly unbalanced in general. So all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. Hard on the kids, man. Uh, good for the hockey fans at home, I guess, but I'm not quite sure it's a clear conscience that we sit and watch your favorite teams play with. When we know that some of the kids aren't playing. It's been hard on everybody. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Beautiful. Thanks, Shane. Canada and COVID one year later. I'm Shane Hewitt, host of The Shift here on the Chorus Radio Network. How do you feel about the communication that's come from our government? Has it been satisfactory to you or do you find that you're more confused than ever before? A year later... Even in the last week, we've seen the communication change again and again. Maybe it's inevitable. Maybe it's careless. Coming up next, Alan Carter from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. We're talking politics, communication, and more on Canada and COVID one year later. Understanding all things COVID has been difficult at the best of times. Joining me now, Alan Carter from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. One of the pieces of this puzzle that really struck me the most was don't wear masks. No, 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 wear masks. How about wearing two of them? <laughs> How about three? Communication. About five. Three, right? Yeah, just wear your hoodie backwards. Um, it seems like this has been a good example of how communication in Canadian politics has been quite dreadful. It has. It's been tough, but I, I think you got to give credit for Canadians for, 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 by and large, kind of coming to realize that COVID, the one constant about COVID is that it's changing and so that the science has changed. But I think the thing that really strikes me as I look back over the last year was the kind of top-down, almost paternalistic, dismissive nature of health officials in the early going. It wasn't just you know, don't wear a mask, but it was don't wear a mask because it'll give you a false sense of security. In other words, you're just not smart enough to wear that mask the right way. And I think mm -hmm. that that was the, uh, clearly was the wrong thing. And hopefully over the last year, our politicians, some better than others, have learned to maybe not talk down to us quite that way. Well, I do add into that conversation the piece of the puzzle that is arrows on a grocery store floor. <laughs> In the very beginning, I was like, come on, like, this is absurd here uh, to use your, um, your your perspective, often felt parental. And yet at the same time, though, if you go to a lot of those stores, 
people either didn't care or they didn't follow them anyway. So I did get to a point this summer where I was like, well, maybe we do need arrows on the grocery <laughs> store floor. You're just carving out your own path. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I mean, my experience with the, the arrows is that nobody paid any attention to them from the hop. Here in Ontario, for example, right now we have the provincial government um, considering whether or not to allow us to take outdoor fitness lessons. Except for every time I go to the park for the last, I don't know how many months, as long as it's been warm enough, there's been people doing fitness lessons in the park. This communication over the last year, are we better at it a year later, Alan? Is is it better? Uh, can, can we breathe a sigh of relief and say, okay, they're starting to get a handle on the communication from the government? I wish I could say, Shane, that that's the case. I, I think a, a year in, we're in this situation where we have politicians disagreeing with each other. We have doctors disagreeing with each other. I refer to this as the Greek chorus, you know, the doctors that are not on whatever provincial health table or federal health table. These are the ones in the, you know, the sidelines who every time that we want comment as media, and we bear some responsibility for this, Shane, we go off yep, to them yep. and they, you know, this they, they wag their finger. Well, the government's not doing the right thing and the government fires back. And then there's, you know, who's in charge of the doctors of the politicians. All of it kind of adds up, I think, to a, a lack of trust and an erosion for me. Well, there is most certainly an erosion of trust. I think that we see that today and the... Uh, willingness to participate. Compliance and willingness to participate, I find, are two very different things. A year later, as I think that in business, we've only seen the tip of the iceberg here of what's coming downstream. Personally, I did lose a business through COVID. Um, what do you see is coming? Is there just a tipping point here where it's like, meh, mask off, wrong way and the arrows, off we go? Yeah, I, I do think so. And, uh, you know, what's coming up with, you know, holidays and, and you know, th this, I think there's a, a real fatigue and we're, we're at the situation where we, we have the vaccine coming and, you know, some people have it and the variants are surging at the same time. And, you know, in many places in the country, they're easing restrictions at a time when we've admitted that we're in a third wave. And so I, I just don't know what the average person is, is expected to do here. You know, it's all of this mixed messaging. Let me run down, if, if I can, Shane, a couple of quick numbers for you, because, you know, there is this poll that I think really stuck out to me. It was the Proof Strategy Trust Index came out just about the year into a, uh, the pandemic. 63% of Canadians say they trust uh, Theresa Tam, the, uh, the uh, medical officer of health. 63%. I don't know if you ever got a 63% in a math test. Yeah. That's not a reason to celebrate. Mom was never happy no. with that. No. And it goes down from there, Shane. 61% for the provincial uh, chief medical officers of health. 59% for the WHO. 46% for you and me as journalists. And then at the bottom, 24% for CEOs. Gives you a sense of, of where the trust has eroded. Now, time will tell as we take a look back at why trust has eroded that way. Um inflammatory, fear-mongering, all of those things have been thrown at media folks. Mm. 
Uh, and I think it would be only safe to talk about COVID one year later to ask the question, do we need to be better as journalists in just grabbing onto the first story that comes from the government and maybe not questioning it a little bit more? Because that third wave phrase started a couple of weeks ago, sort of stuck around a little bit, and then now all of a sudden it's become normal vocabulary. Uh, to your point, things are reopening, so that doesn't make much sense. So do we bear some responsibility too? I think we do. I I personally individually have really tried to do some soul searching and some, um, some, some real thinking about my own behavior as a radio host and a, a television host here in Toronto about whether or not I'm doing enough to um, limit confusion, that I am not part of the problem because part of the confusion that we talk talk about, you know, reopening at a time we're in a third wave. It's two choices, I guess, really, on how you deal with that. You can go on the radio and scream, it doesn't make any sense, and it's all, you know, like, burn it all down. Or you can try, and what I'm trying to do more of now, is communicate some kind of relatable, comprehensive understanding, like, how do you govern your own behavior? Because, Jane, at the end of the day, it's all up to us. I absolutely couldn't agree more. Um, and I think that we have found as Canadians in a lot of ways that we are guilty of sitting back and waiting for the government to come fix this for us, to come save us in this. And the Canadian uh, citizen is the all-powerful one by it, vote or behavior or participation or even going as far as, in my heart, my favorite of all the things, dialogue and conversation. Mm -hmm. So it's with that, I say thank you to you, Alan Carter, for being here uh, with us today. Shane, great conversation. Appreciate it very much. Thank you. Up next, COVID at home and long-term care homes. Canada and COVID one year later. I'm Shane Hewitt. I'm Shane Hewitt, host of The Shift. Nighttime's here on the Chorus Radio Network. COVID one year later hitting us in a way that we could never have anticipated. If we look back a year ago, can you imagine your entire family working and doing school from home? I don't think anybody could. Long-term care homes we thought were safe. Joining me now, Rob Breckenridge from 770 CHQR in Calgary and Linda Steele from 980 CKNW in Vancouver. Linda, your dad is in a long-term care home. Was he there when this all started? He was. And, you know, what it has been like for this family, for my family and thousands of others in the province of BC and right across the country, for that matter, is that all the restrictions that health officials have put on long-term care, which was ground zero for most of the deaths in this country, they were meant to protect the residents to keep them alive. But what they ended up doing was slowly killing them with isolation because we couldn't see the people we loved. My dad has Alzheimer's. Uh, he couldn't do a FaceTime. He didn't know what it meant. He was confused. Where are you? Uh, he didn't understand why I was wearing a mask. It's devastating not to be able to touch your father for months on end, not be able to hug him and tell him everything's going to be okay. And this is a story that's just been repeated over and over again. And in the past, you know, matter of six months or so. He's lost 25 pounds. His cognition has gone down. He's living with Alzheimer's. It's been really devastating for so many families. Is it any easier a year later than when the pandemic began a year ago? 
Well, part of the problem is that in the beginning, we were all afraid. We didn't know what was going on. And every time I heard health officials say there's been another outbreak in a long-term care home in Metro Vancouver, I would like actually hold my breath and wait to hear which facility it was. So I was lucky. COVID never got into my dad's home. I can only imagine what it'd be like to have to sit there as they're announcing deaths and, and, and care homes just in case you didn't get the call and that panic that weighs in. Now, Rob Breckenridge is in Calgary, and Rob, your story with COVID is not with family that is older. It is literally in ground zero at your home with your family. Everybody got COVID. Well, not quite everybody, strangely enough. Um, my wife did not, but I did, and uh, my two kids did, uh, both teenagers. So yeah, it, it was really, it's it's surreal in a way as we reflect on the one-year anniversary because, and, and I remember thinking as we were watching this unfold in January and February in China, I mean, is this going to be something that's going to disrupt our lives? Never really imagining that it would, you know, hit that close to home and cause such chaos. So, yeah, I mean, it, it started with uh, our teenage son. And interestingly enough, we, we still don't know where he got it. Um, you know, we, we did get a heads up about one potential exposure which uh, at least enabled us to get him tested a bit sooner than, than he would have been. Um, but as it turns out, it might have actually ended up being at school. So to our surprise, he tested positive. And um, yeah, it, it was it was quite surreal. I mean, he's, he's a 14-year-old and, and they're generally pretty, you know, kind of independent or, or sort of have the tough exterior to them. But um, yeah, it was, it was weird because he was he was kind of scared. He didn't know what, what this was going to mean. And you know, it did hit him kind of hard for a couple of days. He, he bounced back pretty quick, but it was just that not knowing what this was going to be like. And, you know, even though he's a little bit older, you know, it's typically when your kids are sick, right, you're able to be there for them. And this is a situation where, you know, we can't. I mean, you're, you're essentially, you've got your room in the basement and you've got you kind of walled off and that's just how it's going to have to be. So we would occasionally put on a mask and go down, you know, bring him food and, and bring stuff upstairs. And, so it was a stressful couple of weeks and it just, you know, it seemed as though we were almost in the clear and it was probably about 10 days later, strangely enough, then our daughter started with symptoms, which was really strange because, you know, the gap in between and uh, then for my wife and I, our quarantine period had to start over. And then a few days after that, I started with symptoms. So yeah, it was really a month from hell. And I mean, we're fortunate enough that, um, you know, we live in a middle class neighborhood. We've got separate rooms and separate bathrooms that people can use. And I can just imagine for families who, you know, don't have those those luxuries and how difficult this, this whole thing would be on them. So, yeah, it was it was rough. Yeah, for sure. When I hear both of these stories, I can't help but think of all the families that have multi-generations blended together living in one house like so many do and how dangerous that would have been. Now, Rob, after you've been through this with your whole family caring for each other, is it easier or more difficult to deal with people who say COVID's a hoax? Yeah, it's it's tough, right? And, you know, because I don't, I mean, I, I wasn't horribly sick, right? I mean, um, you know, I, I got through it okay. I, I don't want to to play into the hands of people who say this is no big deal, uh, because clearly it is. And you've seen the impact that, that it's had on so many people. Uh, and, and again, I mean, just, you know, it's not the kind of thing you'd, you'd ever want to go through, just, you know, watching your kids have to go through it. And, and just to, you know, the other side of it for my son, yeah, this was at a time when Alberta's contact tracing had essentially collapsed. So it, it kind of fell to him as he's coming to grips with this news that he's, he's got COVID. Who have you been around in the last 
few days. And for kids who are in school and hockey and activities, I mean, that, that's a list of dozens of people now that, that you're responsible for contacting. And, you know, fortunately, everyone else, uh, you know, came out okay. But yeah, just, you know, the, the stress of the situation is not something you want to go through. I mean, it's, it's very real. And, you know, we're fortunate that, uh, you know, it kind of ended with us. I, did, I didn't pass it on to anybody else. I was the last in our household to get it. Um, because that, that's a, a big burden to carry. And you hear about these situations where, you know, one or two cases have led to 30 or 40. And uh, you don't know if the person you're going to pass it on to is going to have a severe outcome. And, and that's a lot potentially mm -hmm. to have to live with. And it's, yeah, it's, it's something I've thought a lot about. Now, Linda, you've been very honest on your show about uh, having a father in long-term care home. How have you personally managed, uh, and I mean in your own heart, dealing with people who, who say that, who say that, you know, Linda, why are you talking about this all the time? Um, this isn't real. What a waste of time. How do you deal with that when you go home at the end of the day and you're just nothing but a daughter worried about her dad? Well, at the end of the day, it speaks to ageism and the fact that so many people think, oh, it's only seniors who are dying, so it's not a problem. Uh, you know, it's only an issue for older people. They were at the end of their lives anyway. That is just so ignorant. Uh, we all have older people in our lives. If you don't have someone in long-term care now, you will in the future. And so at the end of the day, we had to figure out, A, why do we not treat our seniors with the same respect? Why did we not uh, care about what was happening in long-term care facilities until we had a pandemic? And why is it that you think it's okay that COVID can rip through my dad's nursing home, but you are the one who wants to be able to go out to a bar or go to a religious gathering or what have you? We all have our own personal story around COVID and how we're impacted. And we need to care about the most vulnerable people in society, and that is seniors in long-term care. So for anybody who says, I don't care, COVID's either a hoax or not a big deal, it's, it's only killing old people. Well, to hell with that. I mean, old people are people we love. They're our parents, our grandparents. And this has really just exposed a giant problem that's going to have to be fixed going forward. Uh, we need to do something about it, and we need to get off this attitude that just because you're a senior in long-term care that somehow your life doesn't matter. Linda Steele from Vancouver, Rob Breckenridge from Calgary. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Jim. Yeah, thank you. Coming up, one of the biggest surprises of COVID and lockdowns and all of those changes to our lives was children coming home from school. And not only that, parents having to teach their kids while they were trying to work from home. What was that like? We continue with Canada and COVID one year later, next. I'm Shane Hewitt. A year ago, my kids were in school. Joining me now, uh, two of our network colleagues, one from the West Coast, one from Winnipeg. Uh, Jumi Dapo-Gonsala is with us from Vancouver, and Loren McNabb is with us from Winnipeg. Both of you, parents, kids, so not only are you pulling off the radio thing, you are still uh, chasing kids and everybody's at home and it's busy. Loren, how did this start for you a year ago with COVID when you had that moment of, my kids are going to be at home? I might have to work at home? What am I going to do? How did that hit you? Well, I had already been at home about a week, I think maybe two weeks when our education minister in Manitoba made that announcement. And I, you know, you knew it was coming, 
but I, I, I recorded the video on my iPhone and I'm not sure why, because my kids were already home by then. And I, I, my breath caught in my throat and I immediately just thought it was one of those rare times or early times where I thought, I don't know if I've got this, you know, you try to convince yourself as a parent, like I can do this. It'll be fine. It's going to be okay. And you're saying all the right things, but I can remember the date. It was March 31st. And I, and I, my breath just caught and I thought, Oh my, what are we going to do? And it's, it's crazy because I'm working from home. I have the privilege to be at home. My husband's at home, but all I could think was they're here. And now I have to, I have to keep them smart and I have to keep them going and I have to do math. And I just felt this, such a feeling of like a noise, like white noise in my brain. Now, Jumi, when when this happened for you, your show producer on the national show with Charles Adler, so you were working in the evenings already. I know that you catching your bus to get home because you worked late evenings. So that was a stress with the children. But now you've got the children all day. You're working from home and you've kept them at home, haven't you? Yes, I have. And honestly, when this whole thing happened last year, it was during the spring break that we knew we were not going to be returning to school. And then having to set the kids up with the online schooling thing that was sent home from the school, the school board, I've got two of them. And, you know, I had to rally around, you know, each person would need a system because they were checking in every day. And here I am, I have to be on, you know, the office meeting, pre-production meeting like we do every morning. And I have to chase and I have to monitor the news, cut clips. So I, I never imagined that I would be able to handle this. It sounded way over my head. I was like, okay, now things are just gonna get all crazy. And you can imagine when you have to go into the meeting and you're telling the kids like, shh, 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 like you have to be quiet. And then they're quiet. At times they're just running while you're talking and you're trying to like make eye contact, like stop, <laughs> you gotta stop or you can't talk. So it's been all crazy. It's been all crazy. I'm sure many parents can relate to this. And I never imagined that I'll be able to put it, get it together, put it up together till this time. This is over a year. And, yeah. you know, yes. Yeah. So, Lorraine, if you had to pick one word of one year ago that that taking your breath away, what would be the one word you would have to pick for the shock of this? Shock is not the word. I'm still trying to think of what it was because you know you're competent. You know you can do it. You've got I got a strong family unit. You've got the right tools. The boss is being supportive. But I just thought that hit really hard. And even now when I think about it even happening again and it went well and the kids were great and the school was even better, I wouldn't want to do it again. Um, just for all the uncertainty it created in my head. I felt, I felt for the first time potentially like not strong enough weak. Like I might not oh, have this. Well, hard to me is really what sticks out of that. Cause that sort of represents yeah. all those things. Jimmy, what about for you when it all hit and you knew everybody was going to be home running around in the background of those meetings. What's the one word you would pick from one year ago? I think I I saw it, I anticipated it was going to come, but I was still kind of in this space where I was not sure of what was going to, you know, uncertainty. But I was still not sure of what will happen. I saw it coming, but, you know, I was still not prepared for it. One year later, Loren. One year later of getting through it now, when you look back on it, are you better for it today? Oh, yeah. You know, even as I um, 
and I'm just getting emotional listening to, to you talk to about your kids and that sort of a craziness because there was so much fun in it too. And as, as hard it was that day to hear your kids are staying home and we don't know how long this is going to be going on in a weird way. I'm grateful for it. And I've, we had all these picnics outside and things that we would never have done before. And now that we're sort of like easing back into the possibility of life, maybe returning to normal. I'm, I'm already finding myself missing all those moments that we had and even have now still after school, because we're not as busy as we are going to be going forward. So it's weird to think about the uh, stress I felt and then all those really wow moments where I thought I'm so grateful to be here with you boys right now these two beautiful young kids who are like laughing and having fun and wear their pajamas all day and think it's great and uh, I'm I think we'll be better for it in so so many ways as a family. And your kids did go back to school, right, Lauren? Yeah, they went back in the fall and they haven't come home at all yet. So we've been super fortunate in our case. And to be honest, I don't even think we've had a COVID case at the school that they're at unless, you know, it's happened and it hasn't been shared or something like that. And so um, my the, the stress has been so much less. There was days when they had gym class upstairs, like they would, like you'd be doing the show because I do the morning show and It'd be like 6.30 in the morning, also just boom, 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 boom. You'd hear it upstairs and you'd be like, and you'd have to say something because it's on air. And so you'd have to mm. mention this fact. What are your kids doing? And I was like, I don't know. And they're like, we're doing gym. And I'm shaking a fist up the stairs. And so, yeah. yes, well, lots of insanity, right? My daughter walked in one time to say goodnight for my show and just came up and we were in the thing. And I just said to the audience and the, the crew, because we have everybody on on the show. And I says, one second, I got to say goodnight. I just <laughs> yeah. put the show on hold because I wanted to say goodnight to, to my daughter. But at the same time, I wasn't going to say, not now. Right? Yes. <laughs> so real life does kick in. Now, Jumi, because your kids did stay home, right. one year later, looking back, are you better for it? I would say totally. And, you know, it's not what I would want to happen because the pandemic has really upended every aspect of our lives. It's not what I would want to repeat of, but honestly, it gave me that bonus time with the kids. I was able, you know, like, you know, I close at 10 p.m. every night and I know that I try to get them, you know, that commute time of getting them from school, getting them to school in the morning, not seeing them go to bed at night, you know. I was able to be part of their lives consistently every day for the last one year, which I'm very, very grateful for. And it also allowed me appreciate the kids more because when this whole thing started, my major concern was about how these kids will adapt. You know, not seeing their friends, not being able to go out, putting on the mask and all of those things. But, you know, it's interesting how kids are very flexible and quick to understand, you know, and they became a part of my work, Shane. You know, my kids watch the news and they're always like, mom, you might need this for your show later in the evening. You know, so for me, that really, they they got into the whole drift of what my work entails. They can tell what's happening and they were able to help me. So they they brought inspiration to me as well. And it also gave me this deep appreciation for teachers, you know, having to teach kids at home. You will understand what teachers have to do every day. Two kids in two different grades, not a joke at all. Very true. 
I think that's it. It's about this idea that like when you had that fear or what I did a year ago, it wasn't that I'm thinking, oh no, what am I going to do? It's like your, your whole job is to keep them safe and to turn them into the best possible beings they can be and to protect them. And so with all those unknowns, you didn't know if you could protect them from the virus because that was so new back then. You didn't know if you could keep their school going. You didn't know if you would keep them socially happy and strong. And then they emerged, I think, maybe stronger than ever. And so there's all those like if, if I if I reflect deeply, it's so positive in so many ways. But I like I said, I still get chills when I think about that day a year ago. Yeah, I agree. I don't know if I would want to do it again, but there are benefits coming out of it. And I, I think that my children have seen how hard an adult works to make it all happen. That's part of the lens that I don't think they had any idea of well, when's your lunchtime, dad? Well, I don't really get one because I've got to go do this. I've got to get this done. And then we've got to get this ready because we have hockey later or whatever. And that part certainly grounding for the children too. Perspective is is interesting. And if anything, uh, this has given us perspective. Canada and COVID one year later, I'm Shade Hewitt. Jumi Dapo-Gunsela is the show producer for Charles Adler tonight. And Loren McNabb, uh, host in the mornings at CJOB in Winnipeg. Thank you very much for uh, sharing this time with us and the insights of what it's like from the babies. Because to me, it's all about the babies. You're totally right. Great to share the story with you. Thank you. Through this entire pandemic, there's one thing that we all have in common. Nobody thought we would be here. COVID in Canada one year later. The story is definitely far from over. The impacts of this pandemic will continue for years to come. Not to mention, we still don't even know what light at the end of the tunnel looks like. I'm Shane Hewitt. I host The Shift here on the Chorus Radio Network. You can catch me right here on this very station late in the evening or late at night. I look forward to connecting with you on my show, The Shift. How has COVID affected you? Shane at itstheshift.ca. I want to hear your stories and share them as well. Thank you to all of our guests for being here. And thank you for giving me the gift of your listening today. Canada and COVID one year later with Shane Hewitt.